Bring it in, Read Option Podcast back, another episode, and we are uh, we are down to two that quickly. We had all three of us on, on Tuesday's pod, and now we're back to just two. Me and Scotty, uh, Vito, will be back next week. Uh, he's going to be around for all of our NFL stuff, for sure. Uh, Tuesdays, we will definitely get Vito on the pod. Uh, Thursdays will be hit and miss. We're going to hope to get him in as many as he can. Um, especially before football season, because we know how much Vito loves his college football. Uh, he hates it. He hates it so much. Uh, well, his least favorite he, sport. We pickleball know. is his favorite, actually. Yeah, big pickleball guy. Uh, <laughs> we are excited uh, as we are getting ready to do our college football previews. Starting today, we are starting with the ACC. Uh, excited to get into that. But uh, before we do that, and we also have a quick open, Scotty is here. Scotty, how you doing, buddy? You ready to roll? I'm good. Uh, we we had a dark couple of weeks there where, and don't get me wrong, I love baseball, but it was just baseball. Yeah. Um, and and so now we're we're ramping back up. We just had Wimbledon. We've got the Open Championship this week. The, Open the Women's World today. Cup started today. Yeah. Uh, and and training camps are are happening. Rookies are reporting in the NFL. And here we are today talking about college football, one of the most sacred of all sports. <laughs> It is great. It's funny too, because uh, you know, as we as we sit here right now, the Open Championship is teed off. The Open Championship has become kind of like the lat. It's like you have a week of dead period. We have the the home run derby, the All Star game for baseball, and then kind of like a week to ten days of dead, and then you get to that feels first so much Thursday. <laughs> oh, it feels off. Yeah, it's there's just <laughs> nothing going on. Uh, and you have a few sports stories here and there that pop up that keep you through it. I mean, it happens every year. Uh, this year, uh, getting ready for the open has been kind of my where my head's been at. And the and so far, my guy Tommy Fleetwood off to a hot start, five under after day number one. Max Homa had a really good round, uh, and some other big names, guys like Justin Thomas carting. I believe he finished with an eleven over today. Uh, eighteen, huh. he had a quadruple bogey on eighteen today, an absolutely brutal final hole with these little pop bunkers that pop up right on the side. You saw Rory McIlroy have to go sideways, get out, made an unreal up and down with one leg halfway out of the bunker. It was unreal. Um, and uh, you're In seeing there. a lot of these guys. Uh, yeah, seriously. Uh, John Rom, <clears throat> John Rom found his way, had to do the same thing. They were in the same group. A lot of uh, people walked in thinking, Hey, is this going to be one of those open championships where the, the, the winners at like 15 under that, 18th hole and 17 is also brutal too is causing some fits early on so i think we're, we're going to be in for a really really fun before we get going who's your pick who by the next time we talk who will have won i gotta uh, go with roars i mean i know it's tough to win back-to-back weeks uh like you did but i gotta go with roars man uh roars or ricky would be great i just want to see that final pairing on sunday i yeah. think that's a win for everyone yeah, Rory right now is even par after his first round, and Ricky Fowler's one over. Uh, I'm pulling from my boy Tommy Fleetwood. I think Tommy Fleetwood or Max Homa. 
Did I hear oh, correctly? Oh, that would be Tommy Fleetwood's first PGA Tour win. PJ. So he. This isn't even technically a PGA Tour event. So even if he does win this, it doesn't technically count God. on the PGA Tour. But Definitely his Tom, first major. I would know that. Tom, Tommy Fleetwood has never won a PGA Tour event. He's won like twelve. Insane. He's won like ten to twelve times on the European Tour, on the DP World Tour. Uh, he's won a ton, but he's never actually won on the PGA Tour, which is crazy to think about. I'm pulling from my uh, my boy Tommy Fleetwood. Got to got to hold on in solidarity solidarity with my long haired brethren. So uh, excited for that. Um, so like I said before, we are going to do ACC today. Um, we kind of talked about the way we want to break this down. Look, there's there's no sense in going full in depth breakdown for teams like Duke, who actually might not even be that bad this year. Yeah, uh, they, UVA, they can be frisky. UVA, uh, Tech, some of these teams on the bottom end who uh, are looking to struggle. There's really four teams at the top of the ACC where we're going to spend most of our time talking about today. Uh, and then there's a couple of frisky guys there behind them. So we're going to do our best like we normally would. We're, we're going to kind of glaze over Tech, uh, Georgia Tech there, Virginia Tech as well, Boston College, UVA, uh, Syracuse, all those teams – there's not a whole lot to dive into. So we're, we're going to make sure that we're efficient on the pod today. Cause look at the end of the day, you never know with college football, but I will say this, it's not quite the NFL where there's, there'll be a team like the Eagles or somewhere else. Like last year where this team will just pop up out of nowhere and roll off a, a double digit win season. doesn't happen as much in college football as it does in the NFL. So we have a pretty good idea and there is some interesting stuff to talk about with the ACC. But before we get into that, I texted you Scotty because before we were recording, um, and I said, I have some thoughts, all caps, about this running back pay contract conversation that seems to be going widespread throughout all of the NFL world right now. Because one of those pieces of news that have kind of kept carried us through this uh, dead period in sports is the fact that the deadline to get a long-term deal on uh, for those who were franchise tagged in the NFL, that deadline was Monday at 4 p.m. While we were, were recording our other podcast, and we'd even mentioned on there, hey, you know, Saquon Barkley didn't reach a deal, Josh Jacobs didn't reach a deal, Tony Pollard didn't reach a deal, and all of a sudden, every single running back in the history of the NFL came out to social media to talk about this and talk about how I stand with my fellow running backs, and we're here to, you know, to try to make it, something needs to change. This is unfair, and look. I've had this take, this theory about running backs for a long, long time, dating back to high school for me, which is that I never believed in the solo running back venture, right? The lead running back, who's your workhorse running back? Those teams who have had Adrian Peterson's in the past, right? And, and Barry Sanders and some of the best running backs of all time. All of these teams that have had these guys, look, we love electric running backs. We love Derrick Henry. We love Christian McCaffrey. We love these studs who can do so many different things. But the truth is, and it has been this way for a very long time, going all the way back to the last time the leading rusher in the NFL won a Super Bowl, which was Terrell Davis in 1996. Lead running backs, worker, workhorse running backs do not equate to Super Bowls. They just don't the position as it exists is not where the modern NFL is in terms of types of offenses you're running ground and pound 
first and 10, you run it straight up the gut and get stuffed and you're sitting at second, second and 10. That kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. And the reason it doesn't happen anymore is because the NFL got smart. The NFL realized, hey, for as, as, as amazing and valuable as some of these guys can be, particularly in the regular season, they don't translate to success. What translates to postseason Super Bowl type of success is having a good rushing attack that comes from a litany of runners, a stable of running backs. I've talked about this with the Eagles. I've talked about it with Bill Belichick for years, never paid money to a big-time running back. And now we look at a guy like Saquon Barkley, who is undeniably the best football player other than maybe Dexter Lawrence on the New York football giants. But there is 20 to 30 years of evidence that tell us paying top tier money using X amount, a high X amount of your cap space on a running back is a bad investment for teams. It's been that way for a long time. And while I can be empathetic and I can feel bad and I can sit here and go, hey, you know what? I love watching someone like Saquon Barkley carry the football. If I was the GM of an NFL team, I would never pay a running back. I would never, because you can go through the history of draft classes. You can do as many different research assignments as you want. The, the math will always be on the side of it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And in the very, very, very few cases where it kind of makes sense, i.e. Derrick Henry, i.e. Christian McCaffrey, those teams are still hamstrung by the fact that, hey, yeah. we have to pay Derrick Henry a lot of money. We have to pay Christian McCaffrey. How much is it against? Got $32 million? Yeah, plus right? incentives. Plus incentives. <laughs> and even Christian McCaffrey is unique in the fact that you can split him out and he can basically be a wide receiver. You can do some similar things with, uh, with, with, with Saquon Barkley. But we went through... Le'Veon Bell. We all saw what happened with Le'Veon Bell. Like the rushing pers- uh, uh, drop-off was not major for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers that year. And any team worth it, worth its salt should invest in the offensive line and take a rookie or a second-year running back, a Kenny Gainwell type of player, and put him behind a really good offensive line. Because do you know who out of running backs over the last two years, who has the highest EPA per play from the running back position? Uh, it's probably going to be someone really obscure that is not like one of the top 10 running backs in it's, the league. By it's the guy category. I just, it's the guy I just said, Kenny Gainwell. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the only, and the only player who's ahead of him is Jalen Hurts. All right. So in terms of EPA per play, you're talking about running backs, expected added yards per play. Like how much you expect this person to gain. Kenny Gainwell is in front by a large margin. And the reason for that is not because Kenny Gainwell is some generational type of running back. He's a very solid player. It's because there's a good offensive line and a good scheme ahead of them. And having Jalen Hurts as a quarterback there to help offset the run game. I get that part of it. So it's not a perfect stat and people can nitpick it if you want. But the fact remains, being a uniquely gifted talent at the running back position doesn't equate to on-field success, sustainable success, long-term NFL success. They tend to have a shorter shelf life. And even if you do have a really, really good running back, you're still better off having two or three guys, including that player, 
to give yourself a stable, like, Hey, he might be our number one. He might take 50% of the snaps this year, but I'll tell you what, in the fourth quarter, when you need a first down on a, on a second and five, you'd rather be able to hand the ball off to a rested Saquon Barkley instead of, Oh yeah. Who's the backup for the New York giants right now, Matt Breida, right? You would rather have other running backs that can take that workload off. We saw it with Miles Sanders and the Eagles all the time last year. The late parts of game where he would break off these 15, 20-yard runs in the fourth quarter to help drain the clock. You'd rather have that guy be rested and ready to go because if you're in a tight ball game, you got your two-minute drill, you're not running the football, you're throwing it. So where does that fourth quarter value really come in for running backs? It comes into being rested and being able to pick up first downs when you need them. And they will be able to do that at their most successful if they're not carrying the ball 30 times a game or even 20, 25 times a game. You're better off giving that player some rest. So while I understand and genuinely sympathize with NFL running backs, especially the special ones, someone like a Saquon Barkley, the entire league saw what happened with Ezekiel Elliott. We knew that contract was terrible from the second it was signed. And he didn't even make it past year number three. Mm -hmm. So I feel for running backs. I do. And all of these dumb arguments, guys like Maurice Jones drew who went onto Twitter and said, if you don't have Patrick Mahomes, you're going to need a stud running back and you to win a Super Bowl, And you can count on that. First off, how many playoff games did you win? uh, Maurice Jones drew who was a stud of a running back zero. And uh, also Maurice Jones drew. If you look back at the last like 15 Super Bowl champs that didn't have Patrick Mahomes, not a single one of them ran for over 100 yards in the Super Bowl. So you can, in fact, win Super Bowls without a stud. And you can also get to Super Bowls without having a singular stud. How you get to Super Bowls is having an efficient running game. And that can come from a myriad of different ways. And it's just simple sense to not pay running backs high amounts of money. Now, before, because I want to give you a turn to say this, uh, chime in on this too, Scotty. I will say, because this is a problem at the end of the day, like you still need running backs. When you look at the NFL landscape, the CBA, some of the stuff that's in place right now, the franchise tag sucks for running backs in particular. Now, every single game Saquon Barkley misses this year, if he decides to do a Le'Veon Bell and sit out, he's losing $600,000. All right. His franchise tag is still. I'll go run for that. His franchise tag is still $10 million. So it's not like he's making nothing this year, but for someone who's already torn an ACL like he has, it makes sense. He wants long-term security. He wants more than just one year. Apparently the contract he was asking for was two years. uh, Well, the contract that was offered to him by the giants was two years. uh, And the total of that, of the guaranteed money for those two years. And it was like a third year team option on at the end of it. But the two years of guaranteed money averaged out to be about $5 million more than what the franchise tag would be for both of those years combined, right? So he was going to be making more than the franchise tag, but he just couldn't get any more than two years guaranteed, which I understand why he said no. I also understand if you're the Giants, that was probably the smarter move. So how do we fix this problem, right? The franchise tag is a flawed system. And especially for the running back position who, where they can franchise tag you three times. And realistically, you could be one of the best running backs in football for five years. If you're a first round draft pick and then three more years of control for the team. And you're not hitting true free agency until year number nine, because you'll have to play eight full years. 
And even when you do hit true free agency, you're well past your prime and you're in a Dalvin Cook situation where he's sitting at right now, who I just saw the Madden ratings came out and he's like a 92. He's like the fifth highest rated running back and he doesn't have a team right now. Well, and he turned down a contract because he didn't think it was worth what Miami was offering. And he's refusing to even talk about anything less than $10 million a year, which seems excessive, but He's standing pat and look at some point before the season start, we're going to see Dalvin cook in some teams uniform. There is uh, something called the performance-based pay pool, which I just learned about today and shout out to Dominic Foxworthy, who was the, or Foxworth, who was the uh, NFL PA president when he was in the league. He works on ESPN. Now I'm sure you've all seen him around. He on his podcast talked about this and I just learned about this today and it's the performance-based pay pool. And essentially what this performance-based pay pool is, and it's not something that ever gets talked about, is a way for late round or undrafted players who end up playing a significant amount of snaps higher than what they would be projected to, and they have to hit a certain threshold to qualify for this, they end up making a pretty large amount of money based off of that. So Dominique Foxworth was a third-round draft pick, goes to the Denver Broncos, ends up starting and starts the entire season but he's playing on a rookie deal. Now, because of the amount of snaps that he played and the certain criteria that comes into it, which the main one is snaps played, uh, he became eligible for what is the performance-based pay pool. Now, two years ago, or last, not last year, the year before, two years ago, the performance-based pay pool was $230 million dollars. The performance-based pay pool right now is over $330 million. And as he put it, when he was a rookie playing for the Denver Broncos and playing a massive amount of snaps more than what he was anticipated as a rookie and what they expected out of him as a rookie, he qualified for this. And he said the one check that he got from the performance-based pay pool was more than his entire season's worth of game checks. So... His idea, and I will, again, giving him credit, and I will back him up on this, is that let's take some of that money and make a running back specific pool. Take that $330 million, take $30 million of it, set it aside, and if there is if there are running backs who meet a certain level of requirements, whether it's, hey, you took 200-plus snaps, you ran for... 900 yards or 750 yards and you were making $950,000 that year on your rookie deal, you get $2 million and you're giving that to them while they're on their rookie deal. So that way they don't have to wait till they get to the point where they're hitting eight years into their career before they have a chance to get to free agency and get more money. You can give them more money while they're currently on their rookie deals. And then maybe that helps balance it out a little bit. Either way, and again, I'll pass this off to you now, Scotty. My, my whole thing on this is that I understand and sympathize with running backs. I get that it sucks, but I would never pay a long-term contract. I loved Miles Sanders as an Eagles fan. I was totally fine watching him go. Even if the Eagles hadn't gone out and gotten DeAndre Swift and it was just Rashard Penny, Boston Scott, and Kenny Gainwell, I would have been more than fine with that. And if you add up the total of the five running backs in the Philadelphia Eagles running back room right now, which is Boston Scott, Kenny Gainwell, DeAndre Swift, uh, Rashad Penny, and Trey Sermon, 
Add those five players' salaries up for this year. It equals $7.2 million. Do you know how much money Miles Sanders is slated to make after signing this contract this year? Yeah, it's over that for sure. No, it's exactly $7.2 million. Oh, wow. (laughs) So for the price that the Eagles could have paid for Miles Sanders, they now have five running backs and their entire running back room for the same amount that they would have had to pay for just Miles Sanders. So anyone who just has a basic understanding of sports, front office, all that stuff, you would take the five players, especially knowing that someone like DeAndre Swift is in that room and Rashad Penny, you would take those five players over the one player making the same amount. So rant over, but I do want your thoughts on this as well, Scotty, because it's obviously been the leading topic and leading story of pretty much every ESPN show for the last like two days. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, look, the the wear and tear that you receive as as a running back is far and away. I think probably definitely of the skill positions, uh, the the most drastic. But I, I'd be hard pressed to find another spot on the football field, uh, maybe maybe a, across the line, um, that puts that much wear and tear on your body uh, over a sustained period of time. So. Uh, I, I understand the the premise. It's not fair for a particular group of uh, of running backs. But again, as you framed it, the the fact that the CBA exists in the way that it does kind of screws one position. If you change it, and then other positions like an interior defensive lineman or or, or, or tackles who get hurt all the time are going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Now what about us? We have mm-hmm. just as much wear and tear on our body, um, and and our careers are, are often cut short because of it. Um, how come, how come we aren't part of this? Um, so whatever gets done needs to be done in a, in a way that's all encompassing. Uh, and I think that's, that's a lot of what Dominic Foxworth's idea can has, has the ability to do is, is, uh, is cover more than just running backs. Like I know the way he proposed it and, and said it himself sort of frames it for the running backs but I think it, it can help uh, at, at a number of positions uh, because, you know, it makes these sorts of decisions are, are made easier, not only by the data that we have from uh, from the past 30 years of success with teams who've who've used this stable. But like it makes it easier when you have a mobile quarterback in your case, Jalen Hurts is taken how much how many how much percent of the run share off of uh, off of uh, that, that running back room. Uh, or at least the the bell cow back as as they used to be called. Uh, Derrick Henry's a unique case where he doesn't have a mobile quarterback, and and even now, like what nine years in, we're just starting to see the effects of it. Him getting hurt over the past two seasons, um, and, and so I think that that the data is there. Uh, it, it just it makes more sense, and yeah, it's not fair. But like I said, I think Dominic Foxworth's uh, presentation was. Uh, was a good one. And, and I think that uh, we just, we ha- have to single out running backs, uh, but we can't uh, only single out running backs, right? We have to, we have to make a, a comprehensive solution um, that, that makes sense. And yeah, it's not fair, but uh, you know, that's the game is what it is, right? <laughs> like, yeah. That's, like, and that's nobody that's, arguing. That's part of the thing that's so frustrating on both sides of this, where it's like, I understand where running backs are coming from. I genuinely do. But at the same time, I'm like, it's a, it's a business for a reason, right? Like, and I honestly believe, I think part of the reason we're so like this part of the conversation 
is being talked about. And, and the fact that all these running backs and Derek Henry was on Twitter and Chris McCaffrey, and they're all saying we're stand with all the running backs, almost like they're about to strike like the freaking writers union and the actors guild and all that stuff going on right now uh, out in Hollywood. I think part of it is, look, there's still, there are very few positions in football where ego doesn't come into play. Right. And I think one of them and a lot of them are the interior offensive line, interior offensive line your guards, your centers, right? Like outside of Jason Kelsey and, you know, Creed Humphrey, how many centers? I mean, outside, outside of Jason Kelsey, there are no household names when it comes to centers. And I think the only reason household nationwide people know Jason Kelsey is because of his brother and they have their podcast. You know, Travis Kelsey, because there's, he, he's out there scoring touchdowns and making catches. Running backs score touchdowns. You use them in fantasy. You're not drafting centers or left guards in fantasy. There's an ego attached to skill position guys, and rightfully so because they're freaking studs, and they're out there. They're, they're the ones scoring the touchdowns. Like That comes with, like, with any sport, right? Like If you are a stud and you're, you're the one in the moment that's scoring a touchdown or dunking on somebody or hitting a home run, like that's your moment. Like you can kind of flex on people in that moment with skill positions though. in football, is it, we know them better, not just because of Madden, but because of fantasy football. Yeah. Like we, and, like, you know, we understand people like this and, and I, I think they don't like the fact that they're not being compensated the way that wide receivers are or the way I that other skill positions are. That's unique to football too. Cause you think about For other sure. sports, like you, it, it, all those, those specialist sort of, spots that uh you would equate a running back to as a skill position in football uh a great three-point shooter in basketball uh an elite closer in baseball uh a, a guy who can play uh like an attacking defenseman in hockey those yeah. guys get the bucks because they're they're good at what they do um and it's not to say that those those elite running backs aren't good at what they do obviously we we see that on the field uh, Sunday in and Sunday out. But the problem is that those guys get paid because they can do it for a long period of time. You're giving them a, a, an investment over time that uh, they can do for, for 10, 12, 15 years. I mean, Steph Curry's going to be 36. He's, he's probably going to score more three-pointers this year um, than he will next year. Now with Chris Paul in the, or last year uh, than he will now that Chris Paul is uh, is in the lineup is my prediction but uh in any case that's just an example of like like where where these running backs have the the skill and the special set that they bring especially guys like Saquon who uh can both run the ball really effectively um and are skilled uh on the line of scrimmage but they can also catch the ball uh really well those dual dual kind of guys those guys generally don't get paid like other specialists do and i think that's an important part of it well, and it's part of why, like, look at the Detroit Lions. They have arguably a top five running back and top five wide receiver of all time on their, like, history bar, on their wall of fame or whatever, between Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson, right? Both of them cut their career short, and both of them, I don't think either one of them, won a playoff game. Yeah. That's, that's right. not a coincidence, and- right? Because it's not that they weren't unbelievable generational-type players, because they were – it's that that and their skill set for as great as they are doesn't translate to winning, right? How, yeah, how and you're, 
other than You're Randy Moss, how many elite level wide receivers played for the for the Patriots during the Tom Brady era? Right. It all comes back to what's the most important position? Quarterback. What's the second mm-hmm. most important thing after quarterback? Your offensive and defensive lines. Wide receivers are making more money right now because the top end guys really do make a difference and can help develop young quarterbacks. So like while Jalen Hurts was on a rookie deal, you go out and you pay, uh, you know, uh, uh, AJ Brown, all that money, because you know, he's going to make Jalen Hurts better and help him develop. You go out and draft Jamar Chase when you are the the Cincinnati Bengals and you have Joe Burrow, because you know that Jamar Chase is going to help make Joe Burrow a better player. All of these skill position guys are important but they're not the most important. And it's this weird argument between value and, and financial value and value on the field coupled with, do you have a quarterback in place? Do you have the luxury to go pay for a guy like that? And also the fact that football's changed. It's not the same sport. It's completely different than it was even 15 years ago. And in doing that, and with this change of football, and overall off- offensive dynamics and schemes and all this stuff, the running back position is much more replaceable than it's ever been. And yeah. this influx of running and mobile quarterbacks where you can run RPOs and you want your quarterback to be a good enough athlete. Hell, I was even listening to you know some of the stats, uh, listening to me in a comms podcast today about Sam Howell. And like the fact that Sam Howell is actually a very, very good runner and ran RPOs at UNC at a very, very high level. And they will probably do a decent amount of that, especially with Eric, the calling plays and running that offense this year. And we might see like a young Russ type of runner out of Sam Howe. having a quarterback who has a base level of athletic ability makes your running back that much better. And you'd rather put that money towards an offensive line and your quarterback who might be mobile in that kind of a way, like a Jalen Hurts or anyone else, then putting that money towards a running back when you can get the same level of production and make it easier for them with a mobile quarterback than forcing someone like Saquon Barkley to sit there with Daniel Jones, who is getting paid way more money because there's no question Saquon Barkley is a better player. But having a reliable quarterback is more valuable than having a star running back and that sucks for running backs. And I get why it sucks. I get why they're pissed, but it's the nature of the game. So we have to come up with an outside of the box type of idea to help compensate running backs because they do deserve to make money, but people, I forget who it was. Maybe it was Brandon Marshall or somebody had this dumb freaking tweet about how, uh, you know, the average running back salary was $1.8 million in the NFL and the average kicker salary was 2.1 as if that was some gotcha moment. It's like, dude, literally anyone who follows football can tell you, well, there's probably four running backs on a roster and there's one kicker and you have a guy like Justin Tucker or even like a Jake Elliott who makes like three or four million dollars a year. They out they heavily outweigh that scale and throw that average out of whack. But even still, the numbers alone tell you that that's such a bullshit fucking stat. It's just skill guys don't think kickers are that important and they're trying to make points. So. Either way, I hope they come up with an outside-of-the-box idea. I hope they come up with something because running backs are still awesome. They're still super fun. Having those elite-level guys are difference makers, and we, we'll, we've seen with Christian McCaffrey. But the last time that there was a stud running back on a championship team was probably Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. And even yeah, I'm still, trying to rack my brain. Like to... that game was an absolute blowout. So I and the defense really was the main calling card of that Seattle team. Like 
you have to really dig deep to try to find those stud running backs. Most teams that win have a really good offensive and defensive line, a good quarterback, a couple of skill guys. And if you have a good running back, that's great. But most of the time you can't afford that. And you end up just getting yeah. a, a good room full of guys that are healthy with fresh legs. Cause that matters you, more than anything. You use your, your example. Uh, I don't know about fresh legs for this example. Cause the guy they just signed is always injured, but you use the example of the, of the lions who had one of the all time greats at both wide receiver and a running back, never won a playoff game. But now you're seeing them sort of switch that philosophy. They just gave up the, the guy they would have had to pay at running back uh, for nothing. Um, and have spent their time and investment on building the offensive line, building the defensive line, yeah. building the back end, uh, drafting really elite wide receivers uh, that are still on rookie deals. Though uh, so they did draft a running back in the uh, first round, but right, right, but still, I mean, but he's a you know, weapon. He's an offensive weapon, right? You know, but there, there's, there's but something right. you, you said right. for that because, like, you know, they could have, they could have gone with what they were doing. Uh, with that plan, still pay DeAndre Swift uh, uh, a big contract, whether or not it was it was market value or not, uh, and been right back where they were uh, last year. It's like a seven-win yeah. team. I think they're infinitely better the way that they've done it. Uh, I mean, and Jameer Gibbs and DeAndre or Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery is cheaper than what they would have paid DeAndre Swift. Yeah. So I would rather if you're telling me just on that too, which would you rather have for the same amount of money? Just like I was saying with the Eagles and and Miles Sanders, ten times out of ten, you'd rather have Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery than DeAndre Swift for the yep. same amount of money. Absolutely. So, well, it'll be curious. I don't know if the next CBA negotiations or the uh, NFLPA will look at this next off season. Um, do you have a prediction? Do you think Saquon sits out? Um. He said he's not going to report to camp, but my guess is he'll show up by week. One. I, I just, I, he's too much of a competitor and a football player I, yeah. for this to, to supersede uh, his not being on the field this year. I agree. Um, I just, I'd be curious to see what he's making off the field, you know, and endorsements and, and uh, all of those contracts and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but that probably plays a big part. Well, and he he did all right with his, you know, rookie contract. I mean, he still made a, oh, yeah. a well, cool, what, 23, 24 yeah. overall pick. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, you know. <laughs> but teams, yeah. you know, there there will always be that team like the Lions this year who makes an unexpected running back draft pick in the first round, you know. And we had two. Yeah. We had two this year. We had two in the top 12. Between Jameer well, Gibbs Bichon was and Bijan. Yeah. yeah, but that's how Saquon was. Like, Saquon was on that Bijan level. You know, yeah. and most people still thought Jameer Gibbs would sneak into the back end because you because teams want that fifth year of control before they have to enter into the franchise tag year anyway. So if you think there's a guy at the right that position, you'll take him at the end of the first round is where people expected the Lions just, you know, jump the shark a little bit from where people thought it would be. Be interesting to see as we uh, as we continue. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, the ACC and the start of college football in twenty twenty three. All right, time to start a college football preview. Uh, like I, I said at the top of the pod, we are doing it a little bit differently this year. In years past, we kind of went in with the blank slate idea of like, hey, let's go through the whole conference. Let's go through all the teams and give everybody a fair shake. And look, I'm just being honest. I, I don't, we don't have the time or need to go through 
the bottom dwellers of a lot of these conferences. We're going to touch no on it. to you guys who are fans of, uh, of any no. of these teams, but no, uh, it's just your team sucks and they don't matter. That's not true. Your teams do matter. Um, but, oh, they matter. They matter. College football matters, but we, we love it. But I think what we're really trying to get at here is that we're trying to look at the teams that are not only going to be competitors for conferences, but ones that will be competitors for the entire college football, college football playoff. Um, that stuff does matter. Uh, and, and obviously our, our top 10, top 25 type teams. And based off the way you look at it, we got five power conferences. There's going to be four to five teams in each power five conference that are going to end up making up the entirety of our top 25. It's um, just how it goes. Yeah. And cause you got to, you know, bring in some room for your group of five teams that crack the top, your James Madison's, you know, uh, oh. you know, schools like oh, that, that was clever. Yeah. You know, just slide just, that right in there. You no, know? you know, just like those hypothetical teams in the group, in the group of five that might end up cracking <laughs> the top 25, you know, hypothetical. Uh, so on average, <laughs> you're going to have about four or five of these power five teams. And our goal is to try to identify those four or five teams in each conference. We're going to talk about them. Uh, and then we will sprinkle in a little stuff at the end, but for the ACC, Scotty and I talking about it, we really see there's four teams. There's four teams, and even within those four teams, it kind of feels like there's a lot of delineation between the top two and the second two. Uh, and those four teams are as follows. Florida State, Clemson at the top, and then UNC and Miami as the third and fourth teams. Now, prefacing all of this by saying, I think all four of these teams could win this division. I think all four of these well, teams... No divisions now. Sorry, conference is what I yeah. like to say. I got NFL in the brain. All four of these teams could win their conference. And I and I'll honestly say this. I think all four of them could make the college football playoff or at hmm. least be one of those teams on the outside looking in. And the reason yeah, I say five, that six. Two, yeah. yeah. And the reason I say that is because if you win your conference, you have a very, very good chance of getting into the college football playoff. And if you do it, with oh, one, sure you do. And mm-hmm. if you do it with one loss, you're almost mm-hmm. a lock. Yeah. Right. Not two, though. You have to win to get in. We don't have to win to get in, but you can't have two losses with a 14 playoff. You can't. We've learned this by now. Um, I'm so, not better. Shocking. Uh, so <laughs> let's go. Th- let's go through it. Let's go through. It. We're going to start off with our top two teams that we both kind of agree on Florida State and Clemson. Now, which one of those these teams do you think going into the season right now is a better overall football team? I. I think it's Florida State. I'm glad you say that because I agree. And there's a few, there's a few things that come into this, right? Um, with a lot of college football stuff, I look at a few factors. And it's not too dissimilar to like when we talk about March Madness. But you want to look at the quality of talent, right? How many NFL guys are on this Florida State roster? Throughout the first few years of, uh, of uh, Mike Norvell's you know, run here at Florida State, there haven't been a ton. There's been a few. Jermaine Johnson, you get a few here and there. But how many truly, like, high-level NFL players, there haven't been a ton. This year is a different story. Um, it's loaded. Loaded roster with arguably the best defensive player in the, the, the country. Like, you can make the argument. Jared Verse is one of, if not the best defensive lineman in the I country. Think he's, I, th- I think I put that, that exact sentence in my notes. I, I think he's... Definitely top three and probably the the top defensive ed- edge rusher in the country. Um, Which shout out to him, by the way, because he started off as a, uh, a Colonial Athletic Association, yeah, an Albany, FCS right? player at, at Albany. 
transfers yeah. up to Florida State after and, just wrecking shit and in I think the, uh, the CAA. I think last year he could have come out. He would have been a fringe, like, late first, he early was, second round guy. He was given first round grades coming out yeah. last year and, and now chose he, to come back. He comes back this year. I think he's a lock for a top 10 pick. I really do. Uh, I, if, yeah. As long as he stays healthy. And even still, you look at guys like Gregory Russo and Jalen Phillips, who are both ACC guys at University of Miami, who decided to come back for an extra year and didn't have a great, great success. But both ended up being top 15 picks. I don't think there's a world where Jared Verse does not end up as a top 15 pick in next year's draft, barring injury. Yeah, (laughs) which is is a big if I get that. But I'm just saying barring injury, I would be surprised if he didn't end up being a top 25 pick. Um, But the other main reason why I think Florida State is in this number one seed, if we're going to do that and kind of phrase it that way here with the ACC in terms of predictions is Jordan Travis. I love Cade Klubnik, and we'll talk about him as when we go through uh, Clemson, and he might be the best quarterback that Clemson's had since Trevor Lawrence, which doesn't feel like it's that long ago. Um, But still, for a program like Clemson, who you went through the DJ Uyunglele stuff, um, still kind of feels like that's – Nailed a dismount on that one. Oh, yeah, dude. (laughs) Dude, I've said that name enough times. I know how to say that. Uh, I'm not going to jinx myself by then having to say it again. But we haven't seen Cade Klubnik play. You know, outside of, you know, coming in in the second half of a bowl game, coming in in the second half of blowouts, um, we just haven't seen a ton. And that Clemson team lost a lot on the defensive end. We'll get to them in a little bit. Having Jordan Travis back, who is an incredible athlete. And I still remember when he played as a freshman, when Mike Norvell's first season there. uh, And uh, I forget who is the brother Well, they had the kid who went to UCF, who tore his ACL, had the horrific knee injury. Um, oh, what's his name? He, he grew up in Miami or in Hawaii. Oh, that's going to bother me so much. We'll have to get uh, Zach Parker to, to look that up. Um, but they had him. They had uh, a younger, younger brother of some other player. But either way, Jordan Travis basically had to battle every single year. Uh, going into last season was the first time that he was kind of the, the guy at quarterback. And he came back for another year. And he gives off a lot of like, Jalen hurts energy in terms of like really, really good athlete has needed to develop as a passer was a strictly running quarterback throughout his first couple of years playing and has slowly matured. And now he's earned this spot and has decided to come back and to continue to develop. He's a guy who you will see NFL teams take flyers on because he's got a much stronger arm than even Jalen did coming out of uh, Oklahoma and Alabama. Um, this is a guy that you will see, People really have an affinity towards come draft time. And he's got experience. He's played 30 plus college football games. You know, when he's been on the field and he's been healthy, especially the last couple of years, he's been really good. I love the skill position guys that they have. Trey Benson at running back. Keon Coleman, really, really another NFL body type guy. Johnny Wilson on the other side. Um, They have a great tight end in Jaheim Bell. I really like this Florida State team. And Mike Norvell is a hell of a football coach, but... Coming to Florida State, it's a challenge because it's not Bobby Bowden's Florida State. It's not even Jimbo's Florida State where he got to kind of ride the ending tail end success, not riding coattails. I'm just saying the tail end success of what Bobby Bowden did, and that's when he was able to jumpstart it with uh, Jameis and those teams back in the early 2010s. This Florida State team has a young coach who knows ball and has done a really good job building up this roster and has embraced the transfer portal in a way that – 
other coaches did not do as well. And with how wide open it feels like, I think Florida State should be the favorite and I believe is the favorite to win the ACC. Yeah, and Mike Norvell did it the the hard way, right? It's a storied program in a couple of down years. He started out with just a ton of three stars and a couple of four stars uh, recruits and and just built that program up from almost nothing. uh, They wanted to fire him, dude. Florida State fans wanted to fire him after his like second year. But here he is. That that talent has panned out because he's such a, a good player uh, player developer. Uh, yeah. and, and now you're attracting guys like the the uh, Jordan Travises of the world, like all the guys they got out of the transfer pool. And I think there's something to be said for that. Um, I want to go back to you mentioned Jordan Travis. I, I mean, this offense, and he's the leader of it, is absolutely explosive. Jordan Travis has the highest grade. Had the highest grade in 2022 among quarterbacks, highest PFF grade at 91.7. That's mm-hmm. including all the guys that got drafted. On throws of 20-plus yards, he's second in the country behind uh, Drake May, who we'll talk about in a little bit, and Bryce Young, who was drafted first overall. Yeah, uh, uh, He was ahead of uh, – Bryce Young was third. <laughs> it's good company to be in. Yeah, so so he's the leader of that offense. Trey Benson, 6'1". He's uh, an 88.5 PFF grade, just an unbelievable rusher. Uh, the big stat on him, I love. He has a 0.51 missed tackles force per attempt. That's the highest recorded rate in 10 years. It's higher than Bijan's was in his best year at Texas. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable. So that's that's number two of your three-headed monster. And then you talked about Johnny Wilson, who's an absolute monster at 6'7", uh, 237. You can put it anywhere. He's going to catch it. Um, great hands. 33 of his 43 receptions were first downs. Um, and a second in the conference last year in air yards per catch. And that was only behind Zay Flowers, who got drafted in the first round. But the big thing to me, and you hit on it a little bit, was what they did in the transfer portal. Um, Keon Coleman, who transferred from Michigan State, there's a, a 58 uh, reception, 798 yards, seven touchdowns uh, on a really anemic uh, air attack for, for a Michigan State team. He comes over. Um, and, and I think he's going to make an impact on the other side of Johnny Williams and then Jaheim Bell. So you you make it hard to play zone against you on offense when you're going 6-7 with Johnny Williams, 6-4 with Keon Coleman, and 6-3 uh, with, uh, with Jaheim Bell uh, as your primary targets. And then you want to play man. You talked about Jordan Travis being mobile and using his legs to make plays. I think that's going to be huge. Um, the other, the other – uh, I think the only problem they had last year, I mean, it was a top uh, top three offense in the ACC uh, on efficiency and overall. Uh, they were top 20 in EPA per play, EPA per pass, and EPA per rush, which is absolutely nuts. But I think their one weakness was the O-line, which they totally revamped in, in, the, uh, in the transfer portal. Um, they got uh, Keandre Jones, who's a guard out, out of Auburn, coming back over or coming over to Florida State, he's going to provide some depth. Jeremiah Byers, who is a right tackle out of UTEP, uh, he should start Casey Roddick, uh, who's going to be a starter at the right guard, I believe. He was second among guards in the Pac-12 last year with 1.5% pressure rate allowed. Uh, Byers is going to start a tackle. Uh, He's he's one of only five tackles to earn a top 20 PFF grade uh, against both the run and the pass. That's nuts. And then uh, you've got three other returning starters, and they're led by uh, by uh, Marie Smith, who's their center. Who's he, he didn't allow a sack last year. So yeah. I mean, this this offensive this offensive line is not only revamped, 
with some talent, but they've got a lot of depth and, and they've got a lot of talented starters coming back over 200 starts across their entire offensive line. I think that's going to be the key uh, for, for them on that offense this year. Well, and I'm glad that you said that because that to me is the biggest difference between what this Florida state team was a year ago versus what they are going to be right now, which was uh, the offensive line. Um, the, they had a transfer from last year, uh, bless Harris, who is still the favorite to end up being the starting right, right tackle for this team uh, right now. But they had a lot of hopes for him. He was a transfer, came in through the portal. People really liked this. He's a monster. He's 6'5", 325, and they had him starting at right tackle last year. Uh, he ends up having a season-ending injury after one game. Uh, and that opening game was against Duquesne where they blew them out. So because of that, it forced some other guys into playing, but they have three tackles that other teams would love to have. Robert Scott Jr. started all 11 games for them last year. Second, he started uh, left tackle for them, ended up being second team all CCC, uh, all ACC, I should say. Um, so left tackle, you feel very, very comfortable. And then you have two options at right tackle. You either have Bless Harris, who I just talked about, uh, you also have a redshirt junior, Darius Washington. So there's actually three options. Um, and he's played in 34 games, 27 starts. He's played both tackle positions and center. So you can actually move him anywhere on the offensive line that you need. And they also ended up getting the number one ranked offensive lineman in the transfer portal this year, who's redshirt junior, Jeremiah Byers, who has played 33 yeah. games already in his collegiate career, 6'4", 329, and has played four out of, has started a college football game at four out of the five positions on the offensive line. And that's his, just guys who can play tackle. That's not yeah. including the center that you were talking about, uh, 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 Junior Smith, Morris. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, yeah, Maurice Smith, um, who's a redshirt junior, who's had 29 starts, hasn't given up a sack. Uh, they also have, like, they have, not only are they talented on the offensive line but they have depth and depth with experience there's a difference between having depth and depth with experience you can have a five-star you know true freshman or a five-star redshirt freshman who's never started a game at left tackle who has to come in you say hey well, he's got all the talent in the world but does he have experience and what a team like florida state who has as much talent at the quarterback position the skill position their defense is as good as it is you need guys who have experience because even if you have a, a backup left guard in there, but it's a guy who's played 30 plus games at the college D one college football level, that's a huge advantage. And they have that all across the board on their offensive line, um, which I think again is another reason to really, really like this team because injuries are going to happen, especially with college kids. It's just going to happen. Um, I don't know if you mentioned them or this guy or not, when we were talking about uh, transfers, but uh, Fentrell Cypress, the second, the kid from uh, UVA oh, yeah. who UVA. Um, shut down corner first team. Uh, he was a first team all, uh, I think first team ACC last year, uh, first or second team ACC last year. One of the few bright spots for that UVA defense last year, really, really good player. And uh, adding him to the back end of that secondary, knowing you're going up against Clemson, Miami, you're going up against quarterbacks like Drake May and Cade Klubnick. Yeah. That's going to be a huge addition for them too in the back end. I think the back end is the weakest part uh, of that defense too. Uh, yeah. They've got nine returning starters, but I think that's the the weakest part of that defense. So to add a guy like Central Cypress, the second, uh, well, but is, also going to be useful for them. They're returning starters, but then you're also adding another starter. Yep. Who is a guy like Fentrell Cypress, the second, who's going to be playing in the secondary. Uh, that's a huge addition for Florida State. Yeah, all right. So we're year, all just, go ahead. 
I was going to say last year they were sixth in opponents uh, yards per game through the air, uh, yards passing per game through the air. So uh, I, I think that gets a little bit better uh, this year. And that defensive line is nasty. That, uh, yeah. Obviously, now, we talked about I, it. I will say, too, even though they do have experience, I do think one of the few weaknesses that you can look at is the offensive line because the offensive line is good and is, is solid, but it's not like elite. Like they're elite at so many positions. The offensive line is just solid. And whether or not that's going to translate to this team being able to get to, you know, the college football playoff kind of level, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Mike Norvell's also never coached in games that big in his career. So that's something else we have to kind of factor into this. Um, they, they, uh, they only gave up 20 sacks last year, one and a half per game. That is really good. Now, Jordan Travis ends up being a huge part of that because of how mobile and athletic he is. Um, they end up finishing 71st in the, com- uh, in the country in pass block as a unit and 49th in the country at run block. Um, both of which, again, really solid. But when you're going up against a Georgia or an Alabama or one of these teams that has a ton of NFL guys on the other side or a team like Clemson, uh, that could or the, end up their first game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or their first game against, <laughs> against LSU. LSU. <laughs> that could end up hurting them a little bit. Um, if you were to, I, I'm just wanted to look up because I don't know what exactly. What is FSU over under win totals? Uh, I've got it at nine and a half, and that's a plus uh, or minus one forty five. I'm sorry, minus one forty five. Yep. Uh, yeah, Vegas Insider has them average because I I love Vegas Insider because. Uh, if you're looking for lines, because they take the average of what a bunch of different sports books have across the board. And then that's kind of the, like where they set it. Uh, but they also will tell you what she, what each one is individually. They have them at 10. I think 10 wins is a really good mark for them. Yeah, I do too. Um, oh, I, so if for you uh, gamblers out there, nine and a half wins, if you can get that on the the over under win total, at minus 145, not a whole lot of value there because I do see um, a solid 10 wins and maybe more on the schedule. Uh, I've got them also at plus 160 uh, to be the ACC championship winner. That's a much better value uh, for you if you're going out and gambling a future like that on Florida State. Definitely. Not a ton of juice with that. Plus 160, but you're at least getting plus odds. And yeah. again, I, I think we both agree they're, they're favorites. I uh, also want to give a quick shout out to uh, one of Vito's boys, uh, JT Haas who is uh, one of the listeners of the pod, was super excited that we were back. JT, we were also very happy to be back, but shout out to you, who told us, uh, asked us, he said, last year when you did NFL records, you mentioned over-unders from Vegas Books. I made money off you guys when you all three agreed on an over-under. I think when that happened, you went like five and three or something. Please bring that, that back. So shout out we're to JT. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, our, our win-loss welcome, records buddy. wouldn't have said that, but hey, when we all agreed, so maybe that's just the thing. Maybe we need to just make sure. But look, we did all right last year. We went through pretty good. There's a, there's always going to be misses, but we did as a whole pretty good. So we are going to make sure we are doing the Vegas over-unders with predictions, both for college football and the NFL as well. We want to try to help make you guys some money uh, when we can. Uh, all right, let's move now to the other team in the ACC that we, we both agree uh, has a legitimate chance to win, and that is Clemson. Um, Clemson has been the... Uh, the the favorite in the ACC for is that has it been ten years yet? When was that first year for uh, was it twenty fourteen? I think yeah, twenty third. Well, twenty fourteen was the uh, the Jameis year. 
that they the Jamison Mariota season, and then 2015 I think is when they got to the uh, the the national championship for the first time or the college football playoff for the first time. Um, but the Dabo era, they've been a really good team now for just about a decade. Um, there's a lot to like. I mean, look, it's it's Dabo. Um, we've seen the team that they've that they've con- continually reloaded on, and while they lost some pieces to that really really good defense last year they still have the main core. Like that defense is still yeah. really, really, really good. Especially that, that linebacking core. <laughs> oh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. I mean, they're loaded defensively. Eric Carter, who, who Dabo has said is the single most talented player uh, on defense he's ever seen come through Clemson. Which, which says like, a that's lot. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> says a lot. Um, the biggest issue with this, well, let me, before we get to that, I will also add Cade Klubnick, is like I said before, the next guy for Clemson. Now, DJ DJ Uyunglele was the last, the next guy. You know, he was the last one that we all thought was going to be there. We all watched that game against Notre Dame and thought, holy shit, this is the greatest quarterback Clemson's ever going to have. He's now playing at Oregon State uh, and is not quite the same guy that we thought he was going to be. However, Cade Klubnik is, I think, the best prospect to go to Clemson since Trevor Lawrence, um, the moments we've seen him, he's been really good. He's got crazy strong arm for a kid who's what 20 years old, uh, really good athlete can move. Uh, he actually moves a little bit better than DJ, DJ, which is uh, a little surprising three um, for three. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, what's funny is I screwed up the DJ part. I said, DG, I, the, the easy part I think I had. Yeah, it was, I was like, don't fuck up the last name again. Um, but yeah, he's really, really good athlete. Uh, but he's got a cannon of an arm. Uh, reminds me a lot of Trevor Lawrence, you know, big athletic guy with a strong arm. Uh, he's still a pass first quarterback, which I think is important to have, uh, especially with these modern day offenses. Like if, unless you have a Lamar Jackson or a Jalen Hurts, like a really elite level running quarterback, you know, you want to have a guy who's still thinking to throw first. Right. And that's kind of the thing that Jordan Travis so, really emphasis emphasized last year that kind of took his game to the next level. And I think, We'll see that out of uh, uh, Cade Klubnik. Uh, last yeah. year, too, look, it was tough. They lost both of their coordinators, Brent Venables and uh, Tony Elliott, um, to UVA and uh, Oklahoma. So last year there was going to be – but this defense was still outrageously good last year. And this team still won 10 games last year, right, on a down year for Clemson. <laughs> down year they was still, the Orange Bowl. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. <laughs> exactly, right? Um but the issues for them are going to be the same thing that's been the issues for them for a couple of years, right? They bring in Garrett Riley, who's the brother of Lincoln Riley, to be their offensive coordinator. He's going to help design a much better offense than we've seen from them over the, uh, since Tony Elliott left last year. Uh, but it's that offensive line. They have not figured out the offensive line in a couple of years now, uh, and I think that could ultimately be the thing that sets them back here again in 2023. Well, the O-line does return four starters and like they're built to be better in run protection than they are in pass protection. Uh, which I think both helps and, and hurts uh, K club Nick a little bit, uh, but they got a huge one, two punch at running back and will Shipley uh, who's all purpose explosive can catch the ball. And then uh, Phil Moffa who's a 230 pound back. He can thump you uh, in any situation, uh, but particularly in short yardage. I think that O-line is going to be huge though, in the protection of K club Nick, because that, you know, when you when you put that much investment into not that they're you know putting dollar investment but time investment and development well, dollar investment dollar investments into, too but. yeah 
into a, a five-star quarterback, uh, I, I think it's paramount that you you put the guys in front of him that can protect him. Again, having four returning starters across that line is going to be a huge help uh, to to boost the uh, the productivity and effectiveness of uh, of their quarterback. So I, I think they're in okay shape there uh, for the most part. At the very least, if not to uh, to uh, allow the run game to uh, to open up the pass game for Club Nick. Yeah, no, and, and I think they will. And look, I. I think the biggest addition they added was Garrett Riley, who was the TCU oh, offensive yeah. coordinator last year. Like having well, a guy, having a guy like that is a huge addition. And think of what, what it means for, for the young sophomore quarterback, right? Yeah. Five-star quarterback who it, it, look, if Garrett Riley was able to get what he did out of Max Duckett last year, who wasn't even the QB one when we went into the season at TCU. Yeah. Yeah, and and leads TCU to the the national championship game. Like, think of what he can get out of Kate Klubnik, who's a yeah. five star recruit. Like, no, I will that's say scary to me. the the weapons at TCU. I think were better than uh, the weapons that you would see at Clemson, which is a surprising thing to say. But well, they yeah, haven't think- had a Mike Williams. You know, uh, a, a Sammy Watkins. I know Sammy Watkins is like early Dabo, but they haven't yeah, but- had like a Justin Ross even. They haven't had one of those clear cut guys in a, in a while. Antonio Williams led the team with 604 yards last year, but that's because DJ Uyunglele couldn't get the ball out on time. And right. now we're looking at what's going to be a very, very different offense, uh, a better athlete in Cade Kublick, as to your point, Scotty, than what we saw out of. Uh, uh, Max Duggan at TCU last year. So I think you're going to see a lot of that same offense, those tight double stacked wide receivers split out who are going to be running a lot of RPOs, a lot of quick decisions, get the ball out fast. And if it's not there, there's going to be an option for you to run. And I, I think because of that, I think the ceiling of this team is the fact, I, I do think the ceiling of this Clemson offense is the best offense in the ACC. I do think that exists because you also have Will Shipley behind there too. And having yep. Will Shipley, who's a stud running back 125 all-purpose yards per game last year uh, and also ca- a casual 15 touchdowns as well is going to help them a lot, uh, both in the running game and in the passing game. Um, the offensive line, though, is a concern. They lost the, the best offensive lineman on that team last year was their left tackle, Jordan McFadden, who they lost to the NFL last year. Uh, they do return four, four out of five starters, but it's four out of five starters on a bad off a bad offensive line. So it's like, are they going to come back and be a significantly better offensive line group? Probably because they had a lot of young guys and true freshmen and true sophomores who were stepping up in an unfortunate situation. Um, But luckily for them outside of Florida state, there's not too many defenses in this conference that are really going to challenge the offensive line to an extent that they have to be worried about going up against like a Georgia Alabama, like you're not facing too many NFL guys on the defensive line when you go up against Boston College and Syracuse throughout the regular season. Yeah, I'd throw Miami and, and Louisville even too in that mix of, uh, of tough defensive lines. But yeah, you're right. There's not there's not nearly the, the talent level that you're going to see if you're expecting to be in that top four at the end of the year. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the defense. Look, you said it yourself. Probably the best linebacking duo in the country between Barrett Carter and Jeremiah Trotter Jr., um, which is uh, interesting too. Uh, Tyler Davis could be the first four-time All ACC defensive tackle, um, at least for Clemson ever. But uh, they're going to be good on the defensive line. They're going to be their front seven yeah, is going to be really, really good. Yeah, uh, pass rush is going to be in- insane. The question for them is: Look, they had a really, really solid secondary last year. 
they lost more guys. Um, but even still last year, they finished 76th nationally in passing defense. So it's not even like we're talking about one of the best passing defenses in college football, um, but they at least had experience there. They don't have that this year. And they're going to be well, in a conference where you have Miami, you have uh, even like uh, obviously like the big three and Drake may with North Carolina, you have uh, a Van Dyke at Miami and then Jordan Travis at Florida state. But then you also have like, uh, uh, the kid from who just uh, Brandon Armstrong, who transferred from UVA to NC State. Like, there are really, really solid quarterbacks in the ACC this year. And I think if there's a weakness on this defense, we're talking about the back end of it. Yeah. Uh, they did have experience last year until they all got hurt. And they had a number of, of freshman DBs who had to step in and, and fill roles because of the situation. Uh, so I think in year two with that experience, now they have a little more depth too, uh, I think is going to help. Uh, like, and, and the games you saw, I mean, look, remember the game, Sam Hartman threw six touchdowns against him. Yeah, Spencer Rattler true. was 300 plus yards against him through the air. It was, it was bad at, at a lot of points last year. And again, I think that's because they true. were young and inexperienced. Um, they get, uh, their, I think the biggest return is their safety, RJ Mickens, who was, a uh, an 81 coverage yard grade on, on PFF, 76 pass rush grade. So here's a guy who can both help you out in coverage, go too high with some of these elite wide receivers in the ACC, and then drop into run coverage and help you out there. Yeah. Um, and, and I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be one of the big cogs on defense that uh, that sits behind those linebackers um, and and helps out on the back end. But yeah, I, that's that's the weak point for me of the secondary. Uh, but again, I think they'll be a little better with uh, with the more experience that they have. And I would agree. I would agree. Um, overall, what do we think right now? Uh, again, according to Vegas Insider, which takes the average of all these college football wins, uh, they have them at nine and a half. Uh, but I think you'll see them in most places at ten and a half, ten, uh, yeah, 10, ten to ten and a half. Uh, what do you think? What do you see the, uh, the 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 Clemson Tigers finishing out this year? Uh, so we talked about these these two that we think are clear cut above. Do you think that there's a rematch? Uh, of the week four game uh, at Florida state, uh, a rematch in the ACC championship game. I think so. Okay. I think so. Because if that's the case, then I'm going to go, I think so too. And that's why I'm going to take the under because I think Florida state can get them at home in the, in the uh, regular season. Um, Then they got a really tough November uh, where they have to play um, at South Carolina. They play Notre Dame um, and, and UNC as well. Uh, Both of those luckily are home games, but uh, that's a tough stretch. And then they got to play at Miami in week eight at NC state, which could get a little weird. Um, And then they open with what I think is one of the trickier home openers uh, uh, in week one against Duke. Uh, So uh, Duke can get a little frisky too. We've seen that uh, play out in the ACC. And I think Duke's actually a pretty decent team this year. Uh, So uh, I'm going to take the under on then on 10 or 10 and a half. Um, if it's at nine and a half, uh, I would, I would strongly consider that as well. Um, yeah. Ah, I, I think you're about right. I think it's, I, I think 10 hits it on the head. I think that's exactly. If you can find it at nine and a half, I'd take the over. If you see it at 10 and a half, I'd take the under. Um, but I, I don't know. I think you're right. I think we do end up seeing a Clemson Florida state. And I think, I think Clemson probably, if they lose once the Florida state, I don't see them losing twice. Um, yeah. But obviously, we got a lot of stuff to see in here. There's On just a neutral few. field. Yeah, I think I think the Garrett Riley offense could be a huge difference maker for Clemson. I really Big do. Time. And I think with Kate Klubnick getting a chance to see what he's all about, 
I mean, we look, we thought the same thing with DJ Uyunglele and, you know, then all of a sudden that offense wasn't particularly good. Right. And they've had to kind of move on since then. So uh, yeah, we're going to grow there. All right, let's move on to the next team that we consider contenders. Uh, and that is the UNC Tar Heels. Now with North Carolina, the conversation starts and ends with their quarterback, Drake may, who uh, if you've seen any of the early, early mock drafts, we know that Drake may is going to be like, Number one, number two pick next year. Now, probably number two because Caleb Williams is that special. But I'll, I'll tell you what, if Drake May was in this year's class, I think he's prob- going. There's probably a good chance because of his size and the stuff and intangibles and stuff, he probably goes number one ahead of Bryce Young. Um, he's a really, really, really special quarterback. Uh, and they also have a bunch of really, really fun transfers. Devontae Walker from Kent State, Nate McCollum from Georgia Tech. Uh, obviously they lose Josh Downs at receiver, but they bring in guys who will hopefully bring them back up. The biggest thing for them is can this defense improve? Uh, the defense allowed the most points per game in the ACC last year at 30.8 points per game. Now, again, it was a very young defense. They have Gene Chizik calling plays on the defensive side of the ball. We love a Gene Chizik sighting. Uh, also, by the way, side note, Gene Chizik, probably one of the nicest people that I've ever booked and, uh, texted and stuff to get onto a radio show uh if he couldn't do it he would send you a paragraph long apology note telling you how much he appreciated the offer and how much it meant to him and this is when he was out of coaching uh one of the nicest guys that i came across in my time uh around the college football world um this north carolina team i need to see something different out of the defense because if it's going to be the same Mac Brown's, you know, running gun type offense that we've seen, remember that game against App State last year that was just unreal. And then North Carolina goes on this run. They get out to nine and one. But this defense just couldn't stop anybody. And now that we know they can outscore everybody with Drake May, but I don't know if they can stop anybody. So what do you feel about the Tar Heels going into 23? With as talented, especially on the top end, as, as the, this passing attack is going to be with the two teams we just talked about, um, I don't think there's a, a shot that that they're anywhere close. I mean, that back end of their defense is atrocious. I mean, last year they were 129th in EPA per play. They're outside of the top 100 in just about every defensive statistical category. The best thing they got coming back uh, is is their linebacker Cedric Gray, who who his PFF rating was 82. That's like the fifth best among ACC linebackers, which to be fair, is a loaded group, but um, but that's just not going to cut it. If that's the 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 one thing that you're you're holding on to in, on your defense, um, and I don't think that they have a ton of of, of recruiting uh, on the defensive end that's going to make an impact this year. Uh, they do have a couple of transfers to shore up the back end, but all of those guys are sub seventy uh, PFF grades. It's it's going to be interesting because uh, because of that. I think that the team can be just as volatile as the 61 points they gave up to, to Appalachian state last year. And then the, yeah. the nine games that they won. So uh, for me, you're right. I think it's Drake may. Uh, and listen, this is a, a, a point where he can sort of um, fold a little bit and, um, and knowing he's going to be a top 10, probably a top five, most likely pick in the NFL draft next year. Um, and sort of just coast along the season, knowing that, you know, if they get seven, eight wins, it's not going to really matter in the whole grand scheme of things for him. Uh, but he is very prideful. Obviously, he came, he went to UNC because it's his home state, and that's, he's proud of that. Uh, seems like a fool's errand to me. But, uh, you know, the other 
flip side of the coin is that he could put the team on his back and go out and, you know, if their defense gives up 61, he scores 62 because he's that good. Yeah. Um, so uh, and look, I, he think, is, I think it could be a volatile year. He is that good, but volatility is the perfect word to describe it there, Scotty, because last year they ranked 128th in sacks and 129th in tackles for a loss out of 131 FBS teams. Yeah. 128th and 129th out of 131 teams. That's bad. Uh, and look, and that's what I'm even, saying is if, if you're if you're his guys, like, and even Drake himself, you can look at, at Mac Brown and go, look, I'm not getting protected, and I'm about to be a top five draft pick. Like, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> like, well, so that was no, that was game. on the defensive side of the ball. Oh yeah, oh, okay. on the defensive side of the ball, they had generated 100. They were 128th in sacks on defense and 129th in tackles for yeah, loss. It's horrible. So, which is awful. Uh, but in addition to that, too, they they came up and said, like they've already said publicly, they're going to blitz more. If you have head coaches and defensive coordinators saying that we have to blitz more, defenses already know. Like, de- like offenses, opposing offenses already know exactly what you're doing. They know exactly how to respond to it. They know exactly how to try to dish out the ball to try to beat you, you know? And I I don't know. Like, I look at that and I'm saying, like, that concerns me because, yeah, you can put up a million points – but there has to be some level of baseline improvement. And yes, they're bringing back some guys in the secondary. They're bringing back eight of 11 starters. That definitely will help. And a lot of their defensive linemen were highly recruited guys, a couple of three, four, five-star guys that they have in that room that just have not produced. So can Gene Chizik get the most out of them to make them more of a threat? Can this uh, can they generate pressure without having to blitz as much is going to be huge, but if they do blitz, are they going to be strong enough in the secondary not to give up big time plays down the stretch and down the line? But when you're talking about going up against Miami and going up against all these quarterbacks, we're talking Miami, Clemson, Florida state, uh, 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 NC state Duke, who we agree are both, we both think are going to be frisky. Um, it's a tough conference to rely solely on the blitz to generate pressure pressure. And again, I know you have Drake may on the other side, but when you go up against really good offensive teams, even at the group of five level, like an app state, and you get into a shootout, it just takes one or two crazy shit type things to happen to lose that game. Um, so we'll see. By the way, you saying 61 points in a football game got me a little bit aroused. I'm not going to lie. Just, <laughs> just thinking about a college football Saturday where one team scores 61 points. And I was just like, oh, that's so many touchdowns. That's so many touchdowns. I'm it's good uh, Saturday. That's a good, that's just, and that was the, op, that game, man, that was just the opening day too. That was great. Yeah. Um, as of right now, let's see here. What is the UNC over under for wins looking like? I've got eight and a half, uh, what I'm looking at, um, at minus 140. I would hammer that under so hard. Um, let's see, look at the schedule. Uh, they open with South Carolina. That's going to be a tough game uh, right there. They got Minnesota, which I think is a loss. Uh, then they go at Pitt, um, Syracuse, Miami, I think is a loss. Uh, then the Virginia win, Georgia Tech, Campbell's a win, Duke's a win. And then they go to end the season in November at Clemson um, and at NC State. I don't see it. I'm looking at six or seven right now. Yeah, it, 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 I will say it does worry me. Um, sorry, I was just – I pulled up like uh, – the uh the website with all the different things and james madison is right underneath north carolina and this is the weirdest jmu logo that's attached to it that looks like a j and it's like i think you have the wrong logo vegas insider unless jane you released a new uh logo that i'm unfamiliar with um eight and a half wins 
Nine's a Way tough high. number to get to. I, I think I, I would take – I think eight and four feels about right, but also going back to what why we included them in here, the ceiling of this team is upwards of 10 wins. And honestly, it kind of reminds me of year number two with Sam Howell when they lost a lot of weapons. And obviously that was pre-transfer they, portal, so they, did, they, were, they were able to replace I think they were better on those. offense that year than they were this one, like way better. They like could all be all around on offense. But I also they think Javante Williams. Yeah. But I also, but I do think, I do think that Drake May is a significantly better quarterback. And, and I think, I think they'll have guys me, to get separation. I also think the ACC is worst on the bottom end of it this year. I think they'll beat up on the teams they're supposed to be up on. But when they play good offenses, like I don't know if they beat Miami. I think Miami UNC is going to be one of the games of the year in the ACC. Um, because they, I think both of those teams are good. I think it's just going to be a really, really fun matchup of styles. Um, I don't think they beat Florida State or Clemson. So can they get to 10, 9 to 10 wins? Probably not. I think eight and a half is a good number. I'd probably lean towards the under. Yeah, me too. I I, I think, you know, I'd be interested. We talked about the the, the wins uh, added uh, in, in uh, earlier in the week on the podcast. and. Uh, I think Drake may could add uh, by himself add three, yeah. but I, it's that's hard to do in college football, especially as as weird as it gets. Especially in, if you have games like that, like you had against Appalachian State last year, where he's going out and playing the game of his life, and Appalachian State puts up sixty one. Like that's true. That's true. You know, yeah. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see. All right. Uh, let's go to the last team that we are considering here in this top tier of the ACC. And that is the Miami hurricanes. Um, very curious to see your number two with Mario Cristobal. Uh, we're going to start to see a little bit more of this, you know, of his recruiting. We know how good of a uh, recruiter he is. Um, they have a, they have two five-star freshmen who are uh, coming in at the offensive line. Uh, and they also have Alabama transfer Javion Cohen. I think the offensive line for them is huge. Tyler Van Dyke, after his first year, had a lot of high expectations. He really struggled in 2022. In 2021 looked great. People loved him. He struggled in 2022. Some well, people thought he could have gone out into the draft this past year if he'd had a good 2022 season. He did not. Um, there's going to be a few different things I'm curious about. They bring in Tulane's offensive coordinator to come in as their play caller, their offensive coordinator. I think that's going to help with the offense. Uh, and Mario Cristobal really needs to kind of coach this defense up because from a talent standpoint, I think they have enough with this, uh, with this defense um, and the talent they have on that defense. It's just a matter of are they are going to be able to get the most out of the guys that they have on the roster right now. Yeah, so Mario Cristobal cleaned house. Like he had Josh Gaddis at, uh, at offensive coordinator, the former Penn State assistant who uh, went to the, the enemies in, uh, in Michigan. Um, and then Mario Cristobal poached him and, and took him over to Miami. I think that was part of the problem with Tyler Van Dyke is that Gaddis is more like a, a run the ball down your throat, uh, stuff that worked in the Big Ten, stuff that worked under Jim Harbaugh. Um, can't that do opened that it up for ACC, everything. You can't yeah. do that in the ACC. You can't do that with South Florida athletes that you're recruiting into Miami. I'm sorry. Those guys are, are quick uh, pace, run and gun, RPO, all that. And you're not um, using what their skill sets like. There's there's a reason those guys are highly recruited, and it's not because they run, run and right. run, you know, run, ground and pound type of offenses. Right. And I think Shannon Dawson, who's the new offensive coordinator, came from Houston. He was uh, he was a top he had a top 20 offense each of the three years he was there at Houston. Uh, it's an air raid offense. I think it fits Tyler Van Dyke's skill set a lot more. 
Um, so I, I expect to him to uh, to have a much better year, assuming he stays healthy. They've had a huge problem with that uh, at the yeah. quarterback position at Miami for the last few years. Now, I will also say with the offense, the offensive line should be a lot better. They brought in a stud guard out of UCF. Um, yeah, Matt Lee. The, the, yeah. Uh, he was and, an all-conference all, uh, center in the AC, or AAC. <laughs> yep. Uh, they have they have plenty of talent um, on the offensive line where they're lacking talent is at the skill position. Um, they're OK at running back. It's really the wide receiver room. There is yeah. no proven wide receiver there that you feel like, hey, this, you know, we this this will really get us there. Um, but bringing in a new offensive coordinator and running more of an air raid style, as we've seen in college football year over year. Those types of coordinators and those types of offense kind of create these wide receivers, right? Um, yeah. Who was who was the kid from uh, TCU last year who ended up going in the first round? Quentin Johnson. Quentin Johnson, right? Who knew Quentin Johnson going into last season? Not a lot of guys. Yeah. Like again, if you're really <laughs> locked into college football, you knew who he was. You knew he was probably an NFL guy. But well, and that was part of the why people were down on him in the draft. It was like we only have one year of sample size. Yeah, because one year of sample he- size. And it's this TCU Garrett Riley offense. Um, so if you're thinking about it just from a college football perspective and not like a future NFL player standpoint, a lot of really good coordinators can make solid college players look like guys who are first round draft picks through scheme alone. Um, the question is, can Tyler Van Dyke stay healthy? He battled a, sh- a shoulder injury through most of last season. Um, and can this offense create some of these guys and, and showcase some of these guys and, and elevate them to a level that makes this offense as good as it can. And I will say this in 2021, right? We're just two years removed from this or a full year removed from this. Van Dyke threw for almost 3000 yards with 26 touchdowns and, and was the ACC rookie of the year in 2021. Uh, I think Shannon Dawson, who is the, uh, the offense coordinator coming from Tulane can help them get there. Where this team can really make their name known, I think is going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Because this is what Mario Cristobal does. He does offensive linemen better than anybody in college football, and he's already gotten that. But he also recruits defensive players as well as anybody. Those Oregon defenses, when he showed up there as the head coach, immediately got better. And we saw some improvement from Miami last year compared to the year before under Manny Diaz, where that defense had skilled players, but it just never – I mean, they had two guys under Manny Diaz who were top 15 picks in the NFL draft, and yet that defense got – ran over and thrown on like it was nobody's business. Can Mario Cristobal elevate this defense to the level that it needs to get at here going into the 2023 season? Yeah, he's going to have to. I mean, there were some really solid individuals uh, on, on the, on the unit, but the unit itself was not, not impressive uh, by any means. I think they're strongest on the back end. They get returning safety. Uh, James Williams, who's an absolute dog, a six-five safety. I mean, you talk about length uh, and athleticism. He's he's unbelievable. And then you pair him on the other side, uh, the other safety, an All-American, uh, Cameron Kitchens, who's the highest-graded safety in all of FBS last season. He's the ninety uh, on PFF's grading system, which is uh, incredible. So the back end is is shored up, uh, and then you get uh, a transfer from uh, from Washington State, Francisco Mal- Malgoa. Uh, who's the brother of one of the, the five-star O-lineman on freshman, uh, who's a freshman, by the way. Uh, so he transfers. He's an absolute mauler, a dog of a middle linebacker, uh, just what you would expect on a Mario Cristobal defense. Um, so I, I think they have possibly one of the one of the 
could be one of the better defenses. I think the ceiling is really high. Uh, we know how good their pass rush can be. Uh, they're decent uh, in, in the second level of linebacker, and then their back end is is really, really good, uh, really talented. So uh, I, I think that you're right. I think that's the key, but uh, I, I, I do feel that they're a better defensive unit uh, than they were last year. I think they are too, and I think it's a hole that will play itself out. They lost both of their – the two best defensive players that they had in terms of production – Last year, we're at the cornerback position, and they lost two of them. Um, and they're going to ask three different transfers to come in and start in this defense. But again, if you hit on the transfers, that makes a huge difference. And uh, I think there's a good chance Mario Cristobal can get the most out of these guys. Uh, all right. Well, so, Scotty, where are these guys? What's their over-under looking at as of right now? Uh, I got it at 7.5, minus 140. I would definitely take the over on that. Would you? I think I think they're at least an eight-win team. This is the toughest schedule in the ACC. Uh, I that is two. They got to play A and M. Uh, they they got to go at, at all of the big boys uh, that we've talked about. They're at North Carolina in the middle of October. They're at Clemson the following week. Then uh, they go at North Carolina State uh, in November. At Florida State in November. Uh, and, that that is is a rough rough schedule, and I think week two is going to be a, uh, not only a test, but they're going to get beat around. I, I would love to watch that game because it's going to be two of the best lines on either side going up against each other. I mean, all the five star guys at Texas A and M on the defensive line against this yeah. Miami offensive line. That's going to be a great game to watch. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of out on on A and M. Fair enough. A and M at this point, like I just need to see it. I need to see it before I'm buying into the level that. Like I need to be worried about. Uh, yeah, them, you know? no, it's fine. I'm just from a talent perspective. I think that they, they have enough talent to win that game. But like, I get it, man. Just those and two units. Five uh, like, stars are great. We love stars, you know. And when I say stars, I mean like four stars, five stars, and and Texas A&M's got a shitload of them. They haven't produced yet, and uh, and I think Miami has enough talent, and I think there's a chance they could be out coached. You know, because thing is, look, is if if this offense is that much of an improvement compared to where they were with Josh Gaddis last year, which just felt like an absolute stalemate and they still won eight games. I, I think they could very easily win eight games in the ACC. It's a hard schedule. I get it, but there's only two teams in the ACC that I think are better than them. So if they end up winning all their ACC yeah. games, other than the two that I think they'll lose, then it's not that hard. You're talking about one or two more wins to get you over that hump. I like eight and four for the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, I'm going to take the under. I think there might be a frisky one of these teams that uh, like a Louisville that you can throw into that mix where yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a well, lot nobody what. was expecting. If that's the case, then Mario Cristobal's seat, like people, because who was it Warm. that I was, I was listening. <laughs> well, it's crazy. This is only year number two for him. Um, but Greg Olson was on part of my take last week. And he said, uh, he's like, if, if Mara Cristobal doesn't get it, can't get it done at Miami, then there's nobody who will be able to get it done. And that's, that's coming from a Miami guy. That's coming from a Miami guy. Be interesting to say, yeah. all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will run through the rest of the ACC again. These are the teams. We'll, we'll have some questions about each of them, you know, coaching changes. Um, but for the most part, look, these are, these are the teams we would, we're not really considering as high level contenders. Um, but still fun to talk about. And uh, maybe we even get some betting stuff in there too. So a quick break. We'll be back on the other side. All right. We are going to wrap up our ACC preview here. Um, 
there's a couple of teams outside of the top four that I think are fun to talk about because I think they'll be fun teams this year. Um, Scott and I both agree. Uh, Duke, Pitt, Louisville, NC State, all four of those teams like could be kind of fun, frisky. One of those four teams is definitely just going to be bad. I don't know which one it's going to be yet. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, the one that I'm kind of most excited about out of those four is NC State. And the reason is I think Dave Doran is just a fantastic football coach. And we've seen this year after year with him. We've seen it with a bunch of different quarterbacks. We've seen them just be consistently competitive. And now I think in terms of talent, raw talent, he has more with their new quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, than uh, we've seen pretty much any other quarterback that he's had. Uh, Brendan Armstrong's crazy good uh, athlete. The last name is Armstrong is perfect for a quarterback. And it's also very accurate. Uh, I like a lot. Jackson Dart. Yeah. yeah, Jackson Dart's also a fantastic name. (laughs) Watch out for Lane Kiffin and the boys uh, in the SEC. We'll get to them in a couple of weeks. But I really, really like this, uh, this, this this team here with, uh, with NC state. But the thing is too, is again, with all four of these teams, it's like, there's things you'll like about them. If we're just going based off of like what's the ceiling looking like for these teams, I think there's only one of them that has a legitimate like high ceiling. And I think it's NC State because you have the best coach out of these four teams. Um, I know Jeff Brom going to Louisville is exciting, but let's be honest, outside of one and a half good years at Purdue, kind of underwhelming. And he had a chance to go to Louisville the first time. Uh, and decided to stay with Purdue and then decides to go there after, after they let go of Scott Satterfield. I like Mike Elko and they're trying, they're one of those teams that are trying to build something. We'll see how much they can do in his second year at Duke. Um, and look, they bring back 17 starters, which is helpful when you're trying to build up a new team. But again, how realistic is Duke's like, are they going to crack the top four in the ACC? Probably not. Um, I don't know. What team of those four are you most excited about? Um, I'm going to double down on something that was a terrible take from last year. And I'm going to take right. Louisville. Yes, that was um, – you were very high on Louisville last year. I that was so been your, bullish. Yeah. That might have been your worst take of the season. I think I uh, – what did I have them at? I think the over-under for wins was like seven and a half, and I was like, I it. I don't, I don't even it, think it was that high, six, dude. Like, I, I, think, I think it was like six and a half. Like, I think it was low, and you were like, this could oh, yeah. win eight or nine wins. I think you said like sneaky – like he could be a sneaky pick for – uh, they could be a sneaky team to win the ACC or be in the ACC championship. And I was just like, a terrible you... take. Uh, and so uh, in, in true podcasting fashion, I'm going to double down on the terrible take from last year. Uh, but look, uh, a big reason why is their schedule. They avoid Clemson. They avoid Florida state. They avoid North Carolina. Those are the three best odds on favorites to win the ACC. They play five games away from home, but really only three of them are true road games. Uh, two of them are neutral site games and, both of those are in the first three weeks of the season. Uh, and so they go at NC State, at Pitt, at Miami. Those the Miami game is going to be tough, of course, but uh, again, only three true road games is, is not bad and no road games at all in the month of November. That schedule is very favorable. Plus, they get Jeff Brom, who's a known leader, a great developer of players, um, and he, he brings his quarterback uh, that was under him at Purdue for three years in, uh, yeah. in Jack Plummer. Um, so uh, I think that's huge. They return 94% of their offensive uh, unit, 88% of their O-line uh, snaps uh, are returning for, for uh, 2023. They've got running back Jawar Jordan, who's back for another season. 
18% of his rushes last year were for 10 plus. The O-line was the third best in the ACC in 2022 at yards per contact before the rush. So they're getting him um, some availability on, out of, out of running uh, the running back side and uh, six receivers they got from the, uh, from the transfer portal, including an 1100 yard uh, uh, guy, uh, Jamari, uh, Jamari Thrash from, uh, from Georgia state defense. I mean, it was an underrated defense last year. They led the FBS in sacks per game, and they were twenty third mm-hmm. overall in, in in total defense. So, uh, I think under under Jeff Rom, they're they're it's going to be a, a weird transitional first year, maybe. Uh, but I think they're a team that that is set up for success with as much returning uh, as as uh, as they have. That's that's really how you want to start a campaign as a new head coach. Yeah, fascinating. They led the ACC in scoring defense last year at twenty seven point three points per game wow that led the acc in scoring defense 27.3 uh if it gives you any idea of what to expect out of acc football in 2023 i think you're going to see more of the same uh, but you're right i mean look, down. <laughs> they're bringing back six of 11 starters which helps on a good defense um but they lost uh one they're arguably their best defensive end in yaya diaby uh linebackers monty montgomery momo sinogo uh, and they lost the, one of their starting cornerbacks. Uh, so important positions, but they do have some depth there. Jeff Brom just needs to shoot some life into this offense. And if they weren't able to be successful offensively with Malik Cunningham, I don't know if Jack Plummer is necessarily going to end up being a huge difference maker for that. But maybe it could. I could be. The way you said his name was so like degre- Jack Plummer. I mean, just it's look. I'm, I'm sorry. Malik Cunningham. Jack Plummer. Blake Cunningham was one of the best athletes at the quarterback position in 2022. <laughs> like, and, and Jack Plummer, like, it, you Jack know, is, is Jack Plummer going to come in here and light it up? No, he's <laughs> fucking not. I'm, and if look, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But the, the last time I checked, the only time that a Jeff Brom led team in the power five had a really good offensive season. They had a guy by the name of Rondale Moore, who was a do everything. You know, he was kind of like a, uh, what's his name? The kid who went to West Virginia, uh, played with Gino Tavon Austin. He was kind of like a Tavon Austin type guy in college football where he could just do freaking everything. And in college football, if you have one of those superior athletes, you can just give them the ball in space. That's a huge difference maker. Louisville doesn't have anybody like that. And I don't think Jack Plummer is going to be the reason why they get over the hump. But again, we're talking about teams here that are in the middle tier that might be able to surprise some people. And I do think Louisville falls under that category. Um, here's an interesting question for you about the ACC. What coach do you think is most likely to get fired? Hmm. Because it's college Uh football. So we have to talk about coaches who are going to potentially get fired. Wow. Uh, good question. I'll give you, I'll give you mine while you think about it. It's Jeff Halfley at Boston yeah, College. Yeah, that's what I was just looking at. It's Jeff Halfley. And look, I like Jeff Halfley a lot. He was a fantastic defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Um, overall, like a really likable guy, one of my favorite interviews. This Boston College thing looked for like – after his first year and they had Jakovich there playing quarterback, kind of looked like, hey, you know, there are some things to like out of this team. And, you know, they had the tight end. Uh, Hunter Long, who Hunter I really Long. liked, and you know the Dave defense Flowers. was. They had College Game Day come there, and they almost beat Clemson in that game a couple of years ago, and that was Jeff Halfley's first year. 
And since then, it's it's gone downhill. And they went three and nine last year. They were one of the worst teams in the ACC, one of the worst power five teams across the country. The defense, which is supposed to be Halfley's calling card, gave up 30.3 points a game last year, and they lost half of their defense. So if he's done a good job on the recruiting uh, circuit, we need to see it this year going into uh, year number four with Jeff Halfley. Because if if we're if we're talking about like year number four, you go six and six, six and six, three and nine, you got to make something happen here. And I get it. They had quarterback injuries. He, he was one of the COVID guys who got hired and had the whole recruiting thing get fucked up with COVID. I get it. I like Jeff Halfley. I want to see him be successful. I want to see Boston College be successful. But I think what yeah. we've learned is Boston College is becoming one of those schools that is really freaking hard to win at. And that's not to say that you won't have a, a nine or 10 win season every you know seven years or something like that. But I don't know if sustained success at a school like Boston College is possible right now. To me, they're kind of like a shittier version of Notre Dame. You know, you have to hit all of these academic requirements. You have the religious aspect of it because sneaky Boston College is a crazy religious school. Yeah, Jesuit. I went there for a uh, for a college visit when I was in high school and the entire time, the only thing they wanted to talk about was religion. And I was like, thank you. No, thank you. We're going to leave. We didn't even stay through the whole tour because I was like, this is I'm not going to school here. This is ridiculous. Um, So you're dealing with a really unique type of environment both which again if that's your thing cool more power to you no no disrespect not my thing wasn't right for me but that also limits the amount of stuff that you can do in recruiting because you need people who are going to be okay with doing that you have to complete certain religious based um classes and religious based. it just makes it a lot harder and that's like the sneaky thing that no one talks about in notre dame it's not just that it's hard to get into notre dame academically it's also not a great fit for a lot of people um yeah and I'll be very curious again, like, I don't know what it would take for a Boston college type team or, or for a coach to go to a place like Boston college and be successful. But I think it's turning into a harder place to win than it used to be when we had Matt Ryan and, you know, Doug Flutie and, you know, these, these guys of, of yesteryear who had some pretty legendary teams. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with you. I think that would probably be number one on that list. I'd throw out a couple more. Um, Dino Babers, who's in, I believe his eighth or ninth year. Uh, yeah. eighth, I think, um, as good a coach as he is, like, this is the most talented team that he's had. And they were a bit of a surprise last year. Again, Garrett, look, look at their, their depth chart. How many guys are returning from that team last year? That surprised a lot of people. So if and it's they down lost, here, I wouldn't and they also be... lost a decent amount of people last year too, by the way, yeah. like sneakily. Yeah. yeah. So I, I wouldn't be shy. And a lot of those went into the transfer portal. Um, but I, I would not be shocked if if they they got off to a rough start um, or just had a really down year. And by the end of it, we were like, uh, OK, this guy might be on the on a hot seat. The other I'd throw out and I think he has a shorter leash than most uh, in, in the ACC. And I know they just got him last year, but my guy from Penn State who went to Virginia Tech, Brent Pry, yeah. I think is going to have a short leash there because, I mean, they're so used to winning at that school. Um and, and that program has, has been so solid and steady over the years that uh, I think it'll have a shorter leash. I don't think it'll be this year, um, but, you know, honestly, if they get out to like a two and six start or something like that, I, I think people are going to start calling for it in year two. I, I think that's a great call. I had the same thought. Um, I liked Brent Pry a lot, but I love he him. Seems, he can come back anytime. 
to Penn He's, State. He seemed like such a good fit with Tech, too. Um, my computer's frozen right now. I was trying to look up. Who was the coach before him? Uh, Justin. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Fuentes. Justin Fuentes. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, and that seems to be the kind of lane where a lot of Tech, like tech goes ah, to try to find it. Lane Stadium. Nice. That seems <laughs> to be good. the lane that Virginia Tech seems to go towards for its football coaches. They look for these coordinator well, types and hoping that they kind of bust out to the next guy, right? But defense in particular. Yes, yeah. of course. Because you go back the to the Frank bowl. Beamer, yeah. bring your pack, you know, pack your own lunch or look, bring your lunch pail, whatever that dumb shit was that they used to do. Um, I mean, personally, look, I love it because JMU is now the best college football team in the state of Virginia. Um, and frankly, it's not close jmu's favored to you close second (laughs) yeah i wouldn't say close i'd say i'd say odu (laughs) second um but like seriously jmu like there was some survey and look again it's it's all relative because it's you know who how can you actually measure all this stuff but like across the board like jmu is kind of considered to be the best program now look that's definitely bigger fish smaller pond type stuff too like if you bring in the right guy virginia is a hotbed for talent and if you found your version of a Dabo and you have the boosters to spend the money, but like JMU invests more money in football than UVA does. Well, like in terms yeah, of you, like expanding and growing the program and stuff if you, like. If you're talking recruiting too, I mean, look, it's, it's getting harder for Virginia tech out here ever since, uh, since James Franklin stepped foot on campus at, at Penn state, because they've Absolutely. done so much dipping into Virginia. Maryland is, is dipping into Virginia because we're Penn State's taking Maryland guys, so Maryland's coming to Virginia. It's getting harder to go to Tech, especially the more that they they uh, don't perform at, at the standard that they're used to. And it's a shame because look, it for all of my JMU, you know, Virginia jokes aside, Tech is an awesome place when they're rolling. When Virginia Tech is good at it's, college football, it's one of the best program. It's one of the hey, most fun environments. It's one of oh, the yeah. best places to be successful. Hands because- down, the the best. Uh, the best team entrance in all of college football mm. at a night game and the ACC top to bottom, I think has the best. It um, is up there. It is up there. I will give you that. Um, but again, it, I would love to see tech do well solely because I'm a college football fan and college football is better when a place like tech is good. Uh, yeah. And it, let's and talk it, about them for a second. I have some notes. Yeah. All right. Hit me. I got, I got nothing else to say. I mean, personally, I mean, yeah. like I said, no, I, th- I think they're going to I think tech's going to be better. Well, audio medium, but uh, it, for the visual, I'm wearing a Virginia Tech hat where my brother-in-law uh, is an alumnus. Uh, I think they're going to be better uh, this year. They've got, th- and, and it's going to be key with the with the wide receivers. Uh, they got three transfer portal guys: Ali Jennings from from ODU, who is over close to or over a thousand yards in the two seasons that he broke out, over 17 yards per catch. Uh, Daquan Felton out of Norfolk State. 573 yards, seven touchdowns. Jalen Lane from Middle Tennessee is a slot guy. 69 catches, almost 1,000 yards, and five touchdowns. These are guys who can score, right? Yeah. And they got their quarterback, Grant Wells, who's a smaller guy, 6'2", 212. He's going to be mobile. He's like a Trace McSorley type. And I say that because the offensive coordinator at Virginia Tech, Tyler uh, Tyler Bowen, came over from Penn State. He was a co-offensive coordinator with all those teams that Trace McSorley quarterback for. So I feel like the offense is going to look a lot like that, where they have an elite receiving core, mobile quarterback. It's going to be uh, I wouldn't a, say a elite. Lot. Elites, elites a little aggressive. They, they, have, they have more talent there than they've had in a while. Yeah. I, and and on the defensive side of the ball, it's it's going to be tough, though, 
uh, it's a lot of guys that are, that are young, that are, that are not highly, uh, ranked recruits that, you know, and that's just a, a, a process of, of Brent Pry being the head coach, but he'll turn around. He's a great defensive mind. So, well, um, and again, I, that. I think that like, surprised some people. I like Brent Pry a lot and I, and I hope they do well. I really do. Um, cause again, college football is a more fun thing. Um, is, is more fun entity when Virginia tech is doing well. And I would love to, I'd love to see more of that. I really would. Um, but I still, I think you're, I think it's more likely Brent Pry gets fired than this team wins eight wins or has a, this team has eight wins. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I again, I'd, I'd pause because it's only year two, but uh, I, again, I, I don't think, think he's for the record. There. Yeah. I don't think he'll get fired. Um, just because they gave him, I think it was like a five-year contract and whatever the buyout and that's going to be. Now, again, he's not a super established guy, so I'm sure his buyout's not crazy, but it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be cheap either. And that's going to be a lot of money. And you just fired Justin Fuentes two years ago. And after less than two years, are you really going to fire Brent Pry? Probably not. And I'd say the same thing with Tony Elliott at UVA. You know, I like Tony Elliott a lot. I think UVA is a really, really hard place to coach and to win at. Um, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how he develops that over time, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be a, a challenge. Um, but I like Tony Elliott and again, the UVA getting kids in there. It's a tough place to do it, man. The, the academic requirements are tough, but I think Tony Elliott can do a good job there. And, um, you know, selfishly, I want JMU to continue to be the premier college football program of the state of Virginia, or the Commonwealth of Virginia, I should say. Uh, but realistically, it's probably going to be tech at some point in the next couple of years. It could be UVA. Uh, but Brent Pry is going to have some 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 work to do. The other thing I wanted to touch on there, because I didn't get a chance to respond, um, the Dino Babers thing. Dino mm-hmm. is, is he's kind of in a weird spot because I think it's going to take a lot because Syracuse. Not that they don't care about football. It's a basketball school, but it's a basketball school (laughs) and they don't really care about football. You know, what they want is they want consistency. They want to have a guy who you can have an an eight to nine win season every few years, um, but also is never going to be really, really bad. And I, I almost don't even want to compare the two, but like, I'm trying to think like who is like the equivalent. And it kind of reminds me of like Mike Tomlin a little bit in the NFL, where it's like he's just even the bad years with Dino are like 500, maybe a game. I mean, obviously, Tomlin's never been below 500, but, you know, maybe a game or two. I think the worst, the closest he was to getting fired was after the 2021 season. I think they had four wins on the season. Um, but then they bounced back last year and go seven and six, you know, uh, and they're frisking games and they should have beaten Illinois. Uh, so there was there was an argument where they could have been. Uh, you know, finish the season eight and five, you know, with a bowl game win at the end. So I, I think Dino is just one of those guys. He just brings consistency. He's such a good leader. He's so well respected around college football. Um, I think they'd have to be really, really bad for Syracuse to feel like they need to make a move. I think they're pretty happy with where they're at with him right now. But again, I, I mean, just like anything, anything could happen in college football. And I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, all right. Uh, do you, uh, before we go, because I think that's about wraps everything up for us. Um, ACC championship will be who playing who and who wins. Well, keep in mind now the they've gone away with the divisional. Yep. Uh, it's just the two best records. It. So it's two, the best, two records. best records in round the way it should form. be. The way it yep. should be. Agreed. And, and it's left 
one of these two teams that I that I think will be in the in the championship game out of it because they've had to uh, play each other in the same division every year. Uh, and I think those two teams are Clemson and Florida State. I think in the end they're just uh, a, a cut above the rest of the conference. Um, I think that, and they they play each other uh, early in the season. Um, and, and the road for for Florida State on the way uh, to to Charlotte after that game is relatively easy. The road for Clemson a little more difficult, but I still think that they're a cut ahead of of everyone else in the ACC. Uh, but we've seen some craziness in the ACC before, so I wouldn't be shocked if it's a team like Miami, uh, a team like uh, maybe UNC, which would be bad for the conference, I feel like. Um, but but I, I, I do believe that those two are, are a class ahead of, of the rest of the conference, and it'll be a rematch of a Week 4 game uh, with Florida State and Clemson in Charlotte. I, uh, I agree. Look, I I. I... Again, I think the ceiling for Miami is good enough to get to the ACC championship. I think the ceiling for UNC because of the coach and obviously the quarterback, uh, again, I think for, for both cases, I think, but Drake may obviously is a very much better, is a much, has a much higher ceiling as a player than uh, Tyler Van Dam does at um, Miami. But both of them are, are strong quarterbacks. Both of them have strong coaches who have been in big games. I think either one of them, if they hit their ceiling uh, or even if one of the two of them hits their ceiling, I think they will both be uh, or very well could be in that top tier. Um, But look, I think there's too much talent on Florida state's roster. I think there's too much talent on Clemson's roster. I think this is a two, two team race. And uh, I I think you're right. I think we'll, we'll see a rematch of week four. And I'll tell you right now, I think it's Clemson. And my my roommate, one of my best friends, Andrew, diehard Florida State fan, I would love to see Florida State do it. I think if they get into a conference championship game, we're going to see a massive coaching disparity between a guy like Dabo and a guy like Mike Norvell, one of which has coached in every big game that you can imagine in college football and one who's never coached in a conference championship game at the Power 5 level. And I think that's going to be a huge difference maker. Now, of course, is it possible? Uh, absolutely. I love Jordan Travis. I love the experienced quarterback. I think Cade Klubnick, and I think in that offense with Garrett Riley, I, I just think Clemson's going to be really good. And I think Clemson ends up going 11-1, and winning the ACC, and finds themselves in the college football playoff. I think they have a, a, a down year because they're going to stumble at the beginning. Uh, a down year, again, finds himself in the, in the ACC championship game. But – I think Florida, this is for you, uh, Andrew. This is for you, Will, uh, who's also a big Knowles fan. I think Florida State wins and, and gets over the hump in the ACC. Do you think they go 11-1? and one? Do you think they're good enough to get to the college football playoffs? Um, no. No, I don't. And the reason I say that is schedule. Because <clears throat> if they – look, if, if they could so That survive. means there has to be five 11-1 and one teams. Yeah, fair enough. And at I think least, there could at be. least 11 and one teams. I think I there think could, there be, well but could actually, be, but actually, I mean, over the course since the college football playoff, there hasn't been a lot of cases where an 11 and one conference champion gets left out. I think they could even survive the two losses at the beginning of the year through the first four weeks. Say they lose game one and week one, to LSU week four uh, at home to Clemson. And then yeah. they meet Clemson again in the ACC championship game with two losses, beat them. I think they don't get into the, to the uh look if you, yeah if they have two losses they're not getting in but if they yeah, win the I mean. conference with a if they win the conference with one loss i would be 
very surprised if they didn't make it because I think there's a very strong, I I know you are, I know you are, (laughs) but like, unless LSU, because I think Bama is in store for a two loss season. I think, yeah, A and M's not going to be there. I think LSU could get there, and we'll talk about those those schools as we get take, closer take to your it. Pick in the Big but 10. I think yeah. I think it's Georgia, and then I think you know whether it's Ohio State or Michigan, and definitely not Penn State. Uh, if it's Penn State, because I love Drew Lar, and we'll 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 probably talk about them next week if oh, Vito baby. can be there. Um, <laughs> but if Penn State pulls it around, I mean, I but again, I think Penn State could beat Ohio State and can beat Michigan, so I think they could end up beating up on each other a little bit. Uh, who knows what we see out West. I just think there's a very good chance if they go 11 and one, whether it's Clemson or Florida state and wins their conference. I think whoever wins the ACC, there's a very, very good chance to end up in the college football playoff. Yeah. And look, but you can say that every single year, right. For any power five conference, if you go 11 and one and win your conference championship, there's like a 90% chance you're going to make the college football playoff. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. Chaos. Uh, Let's do it. Chaos. I'm so ready for it. That's all we got today. Thank you all for listening. Also, huge shout out to everyone who uh, listened. It was honestly, we came back and our numbers like skyrocketed and people like jumped into a bunch. And so many people listened to Tuesday's episode, which was really, really cool. Um, Because here I am, uh, you know, just concerned. And uh, what's that word when you're like uh, uh, unnecessarily worried about something? stressed stressed but you know what i mean like there's a word for it like unnecessarily concerned about something uh i was unnecessarily concerned about this it was my anxiety kind of poking in and being like no one's gonna listen to you guys now because you you were off for a couple months and you guys showed out so huge shout out to you guys we love you um thank you for the support we're happy to be back and we're happy to be making content again for you guys so uh everyone have a wonderful rest of your day weekend and we'll be back on uh on tuesday afc nfc east we just did north? we already did that north yeah. <laughs> west or north we're gonna save south for the last and south's gonna suck so afc or nfc uh north or west we'll, we'll we'll talk with the boys and we'll figure something out but again thank you for listening we love you all And we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. And as always, take it easy, everybody.